Amen. You can't help but get excited about praising our Savior for his wonderful gospel that has been given to us. And I'm privileged to be able to continue that ministry as we open up God's Word together in the book of Acts. And we'll be in Acts chapter 13 in the first 12 verses. But as you turn there, I, I was struck as I was looking and seeing how the service was coming together. And you would think we, you know, Jamin and I thinking through the service, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a missions testimony and then we'll have a sermon on missions and it'll all work and we, we foreplanned all that. No, um, I, I don't plan that well even in my sermon prep. Um, I know what passages are coming up. I've laid them out, what I think I can accomplish. Often it's a little bit, I'm a little ambitious in what I think I can do, but it so just landed that not only did we get to hear from Caitlin Schrock and how the Lord is drawing her to the mission field, but this morning we're going to see our role. And what does that look like for us as a church? Because as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been commissioned with a task We've been given a mission clearly spelled out from our Lord in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We, we know this passage well, but I'll read it again. Jesus says, all authority, let that sink in, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, as I said this morning, we're going to turn our attention and consider how in particular us as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ at Oak Park Baptist Church, how are we to carry out this mission? How are we to do this? And as we've been looking through the book of Acts, and as we've been on this journey for several months, we've been seeing and frequently challenged that, that we are to be engaging the community around us with the gospel. It seems like every week it's another scenario, another uh, uh, incident of God's surprising grace showing up in unlikely places. Where the church is praying and pleading, Lord, to move, and He does, and He works. Here at Oak Park, we've been talking a lot about missions lately. We just collected our uh, uh, Annie Armstrong uh, offering. If you didn't hear, our goal was 6000 and we raised uh, over $7,700 for church planning and missions here in the United States and North America. In December, we raised over $12,000 for overseas missions to help IMB missionaries like uh, Caitlin hopes to be so that they can go overseas to unreached people groups to preach the gospel. So I would, I'd be unfair to say that we don't talk about missions or that we don't focus on missions. We certainly do. But even with all that, I want to challenge us to think a little more profoundly this morning, more deeply about missions, and that it not only means that we support it financially, but that we give our lives to it. What does that look like? as missionaries, as uh, really thinking of missionaries being sent out from us, church planters, Bible translators, 
gym teachers, Arabic students going out to preach the gospel? What, what does that look like? Is that the job of the seminary? Is that really, is that what it looks like? Does it look well? If that's what you want to do, you, you go over there to Lexington Road in Louisville, Kentucky, and you go there and they'll, they'll tell you everything you need to know. They'll give you everything you need and let us know how it goes. We'll be praying for you. Or is it, hey, just fill out this application to the IMB or to NAM, and they will handle it. Well, these things are certainly wonderful assets to the church, and, and we want to use them. And, and in fact, these are entities put together by churches, supporting missions, equipping ministers of the gospel. But what I want us to see this morning is that Christ's plan for mission work is through the church, through us. And it's easy for us to kind of say, well, we'll outsource that. And so here's the, what we're going to see this morning in our text, and that is missions work. The work of missions is propelled by the Spirit by means of the church equipped with the Word. Let me say that again. Mission work is propelled by the Spirit by means of the church equipped with the Word. And this means that Christ's plan is more than us merely giving to missions. And that's good, and I, I want us to continue to do that. But Christ's plan is more than that, but it's also that some of us will give our lives to this task. And so with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 13, where we see this playing out, the propelling of missions by the Holy Spirit, by means of the church, equipped with the Word. And we begin here in, in verse 1 of chapter 13, we see now there were in the church at Antioch. Let's just stop right there. This is a local church. This is a church in the city of Antioch, a prominent Roman city. We've been introduced to this city in Acts chapter 11 where um, it was planted through missionaries who were, were forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution. Many people came to Antioch and started preaching the gospel to non-Jews, Gentiles. And this is like the first predominantly non-Jewish church. They call Barnabas in and they say, hey, we need some help. And he comes in, he sees God's work in this church and he's overwhelmed. And so he goes and says, hey, wait right there. I got to go to this, find this guy named Saul. He's in Tarsus and he's going to come and both Saul and Barnabas ministered to this church for over a year, training and preaching, being ministers of the gospel there. And here we are about three years later, and sometimes I think we, we look at the book of Acts and it looks like this is next weekend, this is next week, this is next month. No, God is working, and, and three years really isn't that long of a time, but sometimes we think, oh, God's just doing everything really quickly. This is one day Paul showed up, they preached, and yeah, next day they're planting a church. No, it doesn't work that way. It was over years of of pouring into this body and now we're here in Acts chapter 13 where the church at Antioch was gathered and Luke records and he says there's prophets and teachers there he's highlighting in particular this is a very gifted church 
They've got numerous prophets and teachers. We've got Barnabas, who's one of them. Simeon, who's called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Mananin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, which, that's pretty impressive. Herod the Tetrarch was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Sometimes we look at political leaders and even those who oppose the gospel, and what we find is that God is saving people even around them. That God is, is, is calling people. And a man named Lucius, a Cyrene, a lifelong friend, and probably he grew up with Herod. God had worked, and now he's here at the church at Antioch. God is calling people. Uh, you see Simeon from Niger. He's probably African. And what we're learning here in the book of Acts is that we're just getting a snippet of what God's doing. Here are all these people from different backgrounds and upbringings and countries. And they're gathered here in this church. And then there's Saul, who we're going to know, and he's actually going to start going by Paul from here on out. But right now he's known as Saul. And they're worshiping, verse 2. They're, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. But look what happens. The Holy Spirit said beginning to see the Holy Spirit's about to move. It says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now that sounds pretty interesting. They're worshiping and the Holy Spirit speaks. Now how is this happening? Now I think as we read that, our, our first inclination is that they're worshiping they're singing, and you hear, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas. And everybody's like, all right, I guess that's what we do. Well, it's probably not like that. That's probably not what's going on. Throughout the book of Acts, we've actually seen the Holy Spirit speaking. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit communicates through prophets. And what do we see here? There were prophets and teachers there. We see the Holy Spirit's leading of Philip. Um, to the Ethiopian eunuch in the, in the carriage or the chariot. We see the Holy Spirit communicate to the, uh, to the apostles through Jesus Christ before he arose in Acts chapter 1. Paul speaks of even the Holy Spirit testifying to him that there are persecutions awaiting to him. And, and the idea is, is that he, he's, he's understanding what the Holy Spirit is saying through the circumstances of closed doors. And trouble that's going to come his way. So here what we see is that there's prophets and teachers. They're worshiping. And it's interesting, that word there for worship is a word where we get ours liturgy. Liturgical. And what all that means, it's a priestly term of offering sacrifices unto God and them arising up to his throne room. And oftentimes that word is used particularly of prayer. And so what we're seeing, especially with it being coupled with fasting, that this was they're worshiping, in particular, they're praying. And they're fasting. And probably part of this, prophets and teachers would come and, and give the word of the Lord to the people. And here's the point is that the Spirit of God speaks to his people through the Word of God. This happens through reading the Scriptures, hearing the Scriptures, singing the Scriptures, memorizing the Scriptures. And for you and I, we talk about being led by the Holy Spirit, right? We want to be a church, and I even remember Mike in his prayer 
asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like submitting ourselves to his prophetic word. And here's what happens. Sunday after Sunday, we're worshiping, we're, we're praising Him, we're singing songs, we're, we're doing scripture reading. Oftentimes when we do the pastoral prayer time, we're trying to model praying the scripture to you. So that we're literally hiding the word of God in our heart, like the psalmist said, so that I may not sin against you. And as the Word of God is impressed upon our heart and is on our mind, the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us into all truth throughout the week, throughout our day, and brings Scripture to memory. So you might have an example of, you've got a situation like Philip, and there's the Ethiopian eunuch he comes across. And the Spirit is guiding him. Maybe for you, it's you're sitting at Starbucks or Honey Brothers, and you overhear a conversation, or someone is uh, you know, talking about spiritual things, and, and you just feel an overwhelming burden. I need to talk to them. And as you're giving testimony, and maybe after you shared the gospel with them, or you had a spiritual conversation, you're, you're praying in your community group, or, or friends, or close um, people here in the church, you might say, the Holy Spirit led me to talk to them, right? That's probably what's going on here. It's, a, it's more direct in the sense that there's prophetic utterance. We've got prophets here. And they particularly get up, and as they've been praying and worshiping, probably looking forward to what direction of ministry they need to be going to, one of them gets up and says, Here's, Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is going to set apart Paul or Saul and Barnabas for this task. It's very similar if you go to Acts chapter 11, verse 28. It says, after the church in Antioch has been established. And in verse 28, you see, in one of them, one of the prophets named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. And what does that lead to the church raising money to minister to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem? And so, you need to keep this in mind that in the early church, they don't have the book of Acts yet. They are the book of Acts. Paul is not writing books yet and letters yet. He's, at least at this point, he's just come from Tarsus. He's now in Antioch. He's just starting his journeys. Maybe he's beginning to write some of the letters, but they don't have them in the Pauline epistles. Peter is, is fleeing for his life from Herod, and, 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 and they're just, the gospels aren't even written yet. And so God has supplied His church, not only with the Old Testament Scriptures, but with prophets and teachers to expound the Word of God so that they know how to live as the people of God at this time. And so as they're worshiping, the Holy Spirit moves through the prophetic Word. Now, I've kind of talked about this individually, but what about us corporately? How does this work in us corporately? Well, this is happening hopefully right now. I'm a, a teacher, a pastor, a carrying on the prophetic ministry, uh, retelling the prophetic word to us right now. This is why we have sermons on Sunday that are based on the word of God. And as I preach prayerfully and hopefully, that we're convicted of sin at times, we're, or we're encouraged 
Or maybe people come on our mind that we want to minister to, or there's a situation we've been struggling and, 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 and I don't even realize it, or maybe jamming and preaching and singing a song or a prayer, and that was just the very thing that you needed to help you understand or deal with a particular situation. But collectively, as we sit under the prophetic word, the Spirit begins working in us, leading us corporately in how to act and how to minister. And often the Lord works in the same ways in many of our hearts. Things begin to lay on our heart. I see this ministry opportunity, and how we know the Lord is working is that we begin to see, oh, you know, we share this one thing, and, and other people say, yeah, I've actually been praying that too. Interestingly enough, I've been talking about, if you were at our family business meeting, kind of a vision for our church, where, where, where we're wanting to go, how we're going to carry out the mission. And one of the things I said is my prayer, and it has been, that we would raise up not only church planters, but even missionaries to come out of our church. Now, Caitlin had already talked to me, what, a couple, a month before that? But I had been praying that very thing. And I'm sure some of you have been praying that very thing. And then she comes and says, hey, Chase, I want to tell you, I've got this incredible opportunity about possibly going over to the Middle East and, and giving my life to missions. It's like, awesome. Now, you might say, well, she's a seminary student, of course, right? That's what they, that's what they do. Well, this week, I had lunch with another member. And I'm going to keep them anonymous just because they're still wrestling. But came to me and said, Chase, I'm thinking about going overseas. What does this entail? I'm thinking about wanting to go and give my life to the gospel in another country. I said, my wife and I, we've got to think through this. There's a lot of implications, but where do we start? And this isn't a seminary student. Just a regular person. As we continue going down the road, maybe you'll hear from them. But what we see is that as we're preaching and teaching, the Holy Spirit begins calling people, working. And as the one individual shared with me at lunch, says, how does this work and how do I figure out if that's really what I'm supposed to do? Well, this is what we see happening here in the book of Acts and how the Spirit propels missions through the church. The Holy Spirit uses His Word to impress His will upon our hearts to go. Now, as this prophetic word here says, set apart for me um, Barnabas and Saul, I don't think they were like, uh, really? Are you serious? Us too? We didn't realize that. It's not like, uh, you know, the draft system, and you're waiting for the, the word to come and your number to be called, and you're like, oh, please don't be me. Please, I do not want to go on missions. That's not how it works. No, these were the obvious choices. It was just more clearly defined. Set apart Paul and Barnabas. I don't think they had been caught off guard because they were the ones who had been really doing a lot of the mission work to begin with. They had come. Barnabas had come from Jerusalem, Paul from Tarsus. They had come and had been ministering the word to them for at least three years by now. And what this looks like is that an internal calling, a personal calling, begins to be confirmed by the church. Look at what we see here in verse 3. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the idea here is I have already called them. 
If you think about Paul's conversion, what happens? He's converted on the road to Damascus, and he's given a call on his life, isn't he? But this thing doesn't come into fruition until he gets involved with the church. He's kind of been just doing his deal in Tarsus, right? He's been getting trained, probably supernaturally for him. He's being trained, and then the church calls. Barnabas says, hey, I need you, and he's ready. And he comes, and he gives his life to the local church for three years, and the local church sends him out. You begin to see the Holy Spirit begins working in the people of God to confirm the calling of God. And so this leads us to our second point, that mission work is not only propelled by the Spirit, but it's done by means of the church. And so look again, how did this happen? The church was praying or worshiping and fasting, most likely thinking, Lord, where do we go next? How do we reach People, how do we make an impact? What are we supposed to do? So let me just say a little word here about solo callings. Maybe speaking to you guys right here. Many of you are in seminary, you're in boys, or any of you out there. I often hear this. I, I get to know somebody. Hey, why'd you go to seminary? Or, or you know, oh, you're, 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 you want to be a pastor? How do you know that? Well, God gave me a call on my life. Great. Or I'm called to church planting. Or I'm called to missions. Or I'm called to this or that, to youth ministry. And, and they share this personal calling. And, and I don't want to discount that. But sometimes, there's the temptation, I know it because I've been there. You elevate your personal calling without the affirmation of the church. And what I often say is, well, we'll see. We'll see what you're called to. Because until the church has called you, your calling hasn't come into action yet. It's just a desire right now. And that's good. And it might be reflective of God's calling on your life. But here's where I want to encourage you, especially those of you who are giving your studies to this. What does it look like for the call of God? For you, it looks like the church recognizing that call and sending you out. It looks like the, the Spirit indwelling us, seeing His work in your life. And as we're praying, we're thinking, hey, this opportunity has come up. Oh, you know what? Who would be good for this? And your name comes up. And the church is like, oh yeah, we've all seen it. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit working in all of us. It's the Holy Spirit working. I want you to see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul references this in, in the life of Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. And Paul is handing off the baton to him, sending him to the church in Ephesus to get things squared away. Some things have got, gotten in kind of out of order. And no doubt there is fear and trepidation for Timothy. And we're going to find out in 2 Timothy, if you were to read, he's even more fearful and even questioning his calling. Well, where do you find kind of solence? Where do you find concrete rock to stand on? Well, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy, you're wondering your call? If you remember, the church called you. That's what he's telling them. Look to the external objective reality of, of God's working, 
of God's people laying hands on you and saying, yes, we confirm this calling on your life. So when we come back to Acts chapter 13, verse 3, the Word of God has come. And so then after fasting and praying, they did it again. We don't know what the timeline on this was, but they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is a mind shift for for many of us because we like our independence. Who are you to tell me what God's calling is on my life? Who are you to tell me what ministry opportunity I'm supposed to do? And it's not really just a one-way, all right, here, you know, Caitlin, you think you're called to the Middle East, so I've got news for you. The Word of God says otherwise. No, it's not like that. It's a complementarian relationship. As God is working in your life, He's probably going to be working in our lives as well. And notice that Paul and Barnabas, they submit themselves to the leading through the church. They, they allow them to do this. They, they submit to it. They agree to it. And so those of you who are seminary students, I'm glad you're here. Boy students, those of you who want to give your life to the gospel, you need to be rooted and invested in the local church because the seminary can't confirm your calling. They're just going to give you assignments and give you A, B, C, or F. But the seminary is not able to qualify your giftedness, not able to qualify your character. It's not the role of the seminary. And they would say that. And what a tragedy is for, for students to go through seminary saying, I'm called to missions, I'm called to be a pastor, I'm called to this or that, but they've never had that call confirmed by the people of God in the local church. And this is what we're seeing happening here. Don't you also see that Paul and Barnabas are probably the most equipped people in that church? As one commentator wrote, the support of the church in Antioch for this new missionary initiative was the release of their most senior pastor and teacher, Barnabas. He was the first pastor of the church in Antioch. And he brought his associate pastor, Paul, and they sent them both out. Now, a good thing is we just read that they had many prophets and teachers there, so it all worked out. But we're seeing that they're sending qualified, gifted teachers. This means it's not just, oh, just anybody. No, they're, they're sending out the most qualified for that task. How do you know if you're qualified for that task? Well, the church helps you confirm that in your life. And so in verse 3, we see that they sent them off. Now, this isn't just, all right, lay hands on them. Goodbye, see ya, and glory. You know, that's not kind of the idea here. Well, we're done. We did it. Sending them off, it's the idea of partnership. Oftentimes, those who would go on long journeys of travel, they would get sponsors who would help provide um, the the means by which to travel. It wasn't just, here's your airline ticket. It was, you're going to travel, and we're going to see here uh, that they go down to the port, and they get a a, a ticket on a ship, and and they've got to have tents and and means of food and and certain travel apparel for them to, to be able to make these journeys. Look like the church meeting their needs. That looked like funding. So 
So there is giving to missions. It also looks like equipping them. And I might say, well, Paul and Barnabas are already equipped. Yeah, but there is a difference between being trained and then fully equipped. And that equipping happens in the local church. It happens as you are being interacting with other people who are different than you, different situations that you cannot prepare for on an exam. And they become equipped for that task, but it also looks like praying for them. Praying for them. Paul often asks for prayer at the end of his letters. In Romans, and I'll just reference this, a couple of these. In Romans chapter 15, look at how he asks them to pray. Romans 15, verse 30, you can just listen to me. Paul says to the church in Rome, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Why? That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. In other words, that I don't die. Please pray for me that they don't kill me. And that my service, my ministry for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And that the believers would receive me. Paul had some real personal concerns. I had previously killed some of their family members. I hope that they'll receive me. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And that I may also come to you. He prays these things to the church in Colossae. So Philippians, Colossians chapter 4. He's giving another prayer request. And he says to them in in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. In other words, pray that I get out of jail so that I can continue preaching the gospel. And not only that, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak it. We're on this journey or beginning a journey. I didn't plan this, but it works well with Caitlin. Sharing, hey, this is a desire I have. And, and what she didn't so much explain is from July to December, she's going to be going to the Middle East to partner to see if this is where she's going to spend the rest of her life. And she doesn't need to bear that weight on herself. She even came to me, I want to like not be a solo missionary. You remember you told me, maybe not been those words exactly, but it was basically, I want to know, like, will my church support me? Like, do you all think that this is good? And I said, well, we're going to have to go through this journey with you, but let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and wisdom. And so we're going to need to be praying for this season. Is she going to come back? We're going to get a lot of answers through this, right? Is this where she needs to be? And collectively, I pray that we will be praying. And, and thinking through what does this look like and what does it look like long term for us to send her off if that's the Lord's will. Finally, we're to equip them with the word. And you might be looking at this and say, hey, you covered three verses and we're on point three and we still got nine to go. That's where that overambitiousness comes through, Right? But here, I just want to point out a couple of things from this text. So verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. I thought they were sent out by the church in Antioch. 
You see how Luke is playing on words here? Verse 3, they sent them off. So verse 4, being sent by the Holy Spirit. You see how the work of the Holy Spirit comes by means of the church. That's how he sends you. So Paul, or Luke, just records it a different way. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So they got on a ship, they went to the region of Cyprus, and in verse 5 they arrived in Salamis, and what did they do? They proclaimed the word of God. That is what they were equipped to do. And so as we come alongside people, whether it's a church planner and we want to do that again, or we're sending out a missionary to a foreign land, or it's a, a young man who's come up through the seminary, or a young lady who wants to serve in a particular way in the church, and they're going to go to another church somewhere else. We come alongside them, and they're getting equipped here so that we can send them off so that they can take the baton of being preaching and teaching and ministering the Word of God to another place where it's needed. That's exactly what happens here. The church in Antioch was equipped. They raised up new leaders. God had gifted them. Hey, it's time for us to send Paul and Barnabas. What do they do when they get there? They preach the Word of God. And we see kind of an interesting thing as they begin in the synagogues of the Jews. There's a pattern that we're going to see throughout the gospel or the book of Acts is that the gospel goes out to the Jew first and then the Gentile. There's a priority in the sense of the fact that, that we believe in a Jewish Messiah. The promises that we have obtained are the promises made to the people of Israel. But they have rejected the Messiah. But this gospel goes to them first and say, come to Christ. So they do that. They go to all the synagogues. But when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Here's what's going on. And we got this eclectic guy here. He's a Jew, but he's an astrologist magician, and he's a false teacher. He's probably Jewish, but he's mixed in pagan spirituality involved there, and he is... He's, a, he's, he's an associate, he's a counselor for the proconsul, a Roman official named Sergius Paulus. He's there. And interestingly, as Paul and Barnabas are preaching, they are summoned by Sergius. Now you might think, oh, that's good. And it is good. But when you first get the no- news, hey, the Roman proconsul wants to see you. That is scary, right? You've been going through their territory, new land. A government official now wants to hear what you're telling everybody. You might say, uh-oh, we need time to flee. It's a good thing they don't. Because he summoned them, sought to hear the word of God. And here's what I want us to see. If we're proclaimed and we're equipped with preaching the word of God, though there will be fruit, there will also be opposition. We come back to this magician named Bar-Jesus. And in verse 8, we see, but Elymas, he's got another name, the magician, for that is what the meaning of his name is. And basically, what scholars think is that this name Elymas is Aramaic roots for magician. But the bottom line is here is his name means magician. 
astrologist. He, he sees the seasons and the stars, and he, he has incantations and spiritual spells by which he seeks to get the spirit world to help his Roman official, to protect him, to cause his kingdom to prosper. That's the kind of things he in, he's into. He's not a faithful Jew for that matter. That's why he's a false teacher. And he opposed them, verse 8, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. However it happened, Paul and Barnabas are summoned, and this false teacher comes. Satan's workers come, and they will seek to oppose this work if we're preaching the Word of God. Now, it's interesting here, the play on words. I want you to see this. His name is Bar-Jesus. Bar means son. Son of Jesus is what he was. Now, I don't think this has anything to do with necessarily Jesus the Messiah. Joshua is the name. It's just son of Joshua. But notice what Paul says to him in verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, now we don't have to qualify this anymore. We can just call him Paul from now on. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you're not son of Joshua. That's not who you really are. You're the son of the devil. You enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Woo! Man, that's not going to get you any brownie points like in, in, in political correctness circles. What's going on? I mean, that, if we... Talk like that with people, you man, you're just really not being gracious and merciful. Don't you care about his soul? Don't you want him to come to Jesus? Isn't this going to, this is not going to be helpful. Let me just make one comment here about Paul's seemingly harsh language. It is harsh. It's, 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 it's direct. It's pointed. But it's not um, out of place. You see Jesus doing very similar things with the, the Pharisees. If you, if you note John chapter 8, the Pharisees are opposing his ministry as he's ministering to others, and they keep questioning his calling from God and his identity as the Son of God. And he says, you are not children of Abraham, but your sons are children of the devil. And I say, oh gosh, Jesus, I wish you hadn't said that. Why do, why do they do that? Now, here's where I want you to notice. These type of rebukes are appropriate for false teachers. But you never see Paul, you never see the apostles, you never see even Jesus doing this to the everyday person. Even those people who walked away who didn't believe the message, he didn't say, go away, you sons of the devil. You workers of all unrighteousness, you full of deceit. He doesn't do that. But he does it to their leaders. There's a sense in which teachers are held to a higher standard. And so Paul comes to this magician, this false teacher, one who blatantly opposes the gospel. That's maybe the best way to see it. False teachers who blatantly oppose the gospel and oppose our work so that the straight paths of the Lord, the streams, the highways to Mount Zion, the highways to the Lord Jesus Christ, they've set up roadblocks. They're getting in the way of the Lord's work so we can preach to people. That's when this happens. But notice 
Simon or Bar Jesus's efforts are futile. Look at what happens in verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, Paul says to him. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Kind of a crazy scene here. Oh, you, you, oh you're a magician, are you? Well, I'm going to make your physical sight reflective of your spiritual sight. And this mist, the idea is probably some dark fog starts coming in on him and just sucks out the light out of his eyes. I don't know. This is kind of crazy. And all of a sudden, darkness. And he's wandering around looking for a hand to lead him. And in verse 12, we see, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. And you might be saying, okay, well, Caitlin, do you have these powers? <laughs> Those of you might go, well, what? we can't do that. And you might look at that and say, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm, I'm not a prophet like these that have these ability to do that. But look at really where the belief came from. For... He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Pro Council probably wasn't as maybe shocked. I mean, he had a magician <laughs> who worked wonders through the power of Satan. And now here comes another one. To him, he's a polytheist. He, here's someone who's got more power. But what was it that, that was differentiating him? It was the teaching of the Lord. So what does it look like for a church to partake in missions? Well, it looks like being propelled by the Holy Spirit by means of the church equipped with the Word. And so as we continue to talk about missions, we want to also be praying that the Holy Spirit will lead us into new mission endeavors. Lord, open up our eyes, begin working in our hearts on opportunities, doors that might be open to take the gospel, not just locally, although we want that, but also globally. And that's going to happen through how God has fashioned you and, and, and maybe raised up some of you, passions that you have. Now you might say, well, how do I know that's the Holy Spirit? Well, do you think it's Satan who wants you to take the gospel to the Middle East, Caitlin? No. Or anywhere else for that matter? That's God working in your heart. Now we're going to see what he wants to do with that. How do we do that? Let's bring it to the church. Let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Let God begin to cause this to, to mull over in our hearts and minds. Let's pray and fast. Maybe it's just an opportunity. We've talked about lots of opportunities here locally. We've talked about jail ministry. We've talked about choices for women. We've talked about what's hopefully happening with Louisville Rescue Mission coming over here in Jeff. And there are other opportunities that yet we have no idea that are available yet. But as we pray and we ask God, Lord, raise up leadership, let's not be surprised when he does. And I can tell you, you, you all don't get the benefit of it, but of the emails and the calls and the people who walk up, hey, hey, I'm kind of scared, but the Lord's been working on my heart. I'm thinking about wanting to do this. What, what, what might this entail? That's the Holy Spirit working in us. And then we pray that we're a church that's in a position to partner with these. Where we can equip them. We can send them out, we can fund them, we can, we can pray for them 
And then we see that great commission, not just being carried out as we're a part of a collection of churches doing missions, but even our role individually as a church. We're doing missions. It's how he does it. Okay, so let's keep those things in mind. I'll let me pray and we'll sing one closing song and go about our week. Oh Lord, it's encouraging to see your work through the church. Your plan to reach the nations is through people like us. And Lord, the stories that are that happen here, the people you're raising up, Lord, you're doing very similar things in other churches, stories that we're unaware of, but yet collectively in the, the universal church who bows the knee to your gospel, to your kingship, Lord, you're using us, and we ask, and we plead, and we pray, Lord, that you would propel us towards missions, and that you would raise up some of us to be the ones who leave here to go, and that we would be a church that continues to support and pray and plead so that they may speak the gospel clearly as they ought. Lord, that's our prayer we ask that in the coming days, weeks, months, years, that you will lead us to that end. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.